I really believe it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because this is not about a democratic crisis. This is really about a theocratic crisis. The problem is not in the White House, it's in God's house. Those who are professing to belong to the Lord have embraced a political agenda rather than a kingdom agenda. God's word is still true if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face. He said, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal the land. I want you to know that the healing of the land is going to start with the children of God who gather every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock in this country or at different times. And those times when we gathered, it's still the most segregated hour in this country. God is not pleased. God is not pleased. And God does not want us to return to what has been our standards. God is purging the church. And when we march to Washington, let us not go to pray for a particular candidate or a party. We need to pray for our nation to repent and be reconciled to God. I want you to know that it is an affront to God for the church to operate by a political agenda. And we are so divided, not because we are separated by what God has said, but we are divided by blue and red. God is not pleased. I'm excited also to announce that Elder Carlos Ward and Sister Lucinda Ward are the proud grandparents of a brand new baby girl. In the midst of a pandemic, some folk got busy. Amen. And we got Brother Anthony and um, his lovely wife, Casmira. They are also expecting. And Amen. So some of us have been real busy. Hallelujah. Praise God. God is still blessing. He's given us a brand new property in Middletown, Vance Neck Road so that we can make disciples that make disciples as we help people reach their full potential through the life-changing Word of God. Now turn with me as you stand to Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing our series entitled Frame Your Faith or Frame Your Focus by the Word of God. Frame your focus by faith. I'll get it right. Frame your focus by faith. The frame is the Word of God. What we're focused Sing on based on the word of God is nothing other than the attributes, the perfection, the character, and the nature of God. The word of God causes us to see God. And when we see God clearly, we will operate by faith in the word. Frame your focus during this pandemic by faith in the word of God. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, and as I said, we're going to be making our way through the entire chapter. And so you can 
go ahead and read and study as we make our progress uh, together. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, catechized by God, or by the word of God, so that that which, the things which are seen, were not made of the things which are visible. And here's our key verse for today. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you. We lift up our country. God, we are in a turmoil. In all of my years of life, I've never seen it this way. But I believe that you are bringing us to our knees and that our eyes must be turned to you so that we find our strength from the Lord. And so, God, we're turning to you because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You better walk by faith in this pandemic and not by sight. Somebody say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. In 1967, I should say uh, 1976, one of the most inspiring athletic performances occurred during the Montreal, Montreal Canadian Olympics. And I had the benefit of watching this particular performer not in real time, but after the fact. And the gymnast that I'm speaking of name is Sum Fujimoto. Sum Fujimoto. And as I said earlier, don't name any of your children Fujimoto. During his preliminaries preparing to do his next feat, he injured his knee. In fact, he fractured his kneecap, dislocated it. And while he was in, in excruciating pain, Fujimoto decided not to tell the captain or his teammates because he knew that if his captain knew that his kneecap was fractured, that he would have been told he could not participate. But Fujimoto understood also, that if he did not complete his event, his uh, team would not have been able to defeat Russia to win their fifth straight gold medal. So he had two more events to participate in, and one was on, on the horse, which was not so challenging. He got a 9.5 score. 
But the last of his events was on, on the, uh, the, the, uh, on the rings. Yeah, I know, on the rings, <laughs> which meant that after he finished his uh, performance, he would have to dismount from a high height and land perfectly which means that he would have to put the weight on the knee that had been fractured. And so he did the hard thing. He went through his routine on the, on the rings without any fault at all, no, no errors, and then it was time to dismount, and he made a perfect landing on his severed knee. After he got his score of 9.7, he literally collapsed, and that was when his captain and teammates came to understand that Fujimoto had performed on a fractured knee, and the damage as a result of him landing now resulted in ligament being torn. And so my question was, why didn't he just wave the right white flag and say, okay, I'm, I'm here, but... Uh, time for me to check out. This thing hurts. Uh, can't you see that my kneecap is going in the direction that it shouldn't be? But instead of doing the easy thing by simply saying to the captain, I'm injured, Fujimoto decided to do the hard thing. And, and the reason he did when he was interviewed, he said, I put myself through the agony and was able to focus on the outcome because I love my country, and I wanted to win the goal for Japan. I want you to know when you love somebody, you'll do hard things. When you love someone like Fujimoto loved Japan, you'll be willing to make whatever sacrifices that are necessary. From our lesson today in the Word of God, we're going to come to discover that Abel was willing to do the hard thing because he understood that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that God is, that God exists. And since God is, he is a rewarder of them who earnestly, diligently, sincerely Seek him. God is pleased when we seek him. And he rewards us for putting him first. Somebody say amen. Now, our key passage is taken from verse 4 in Hebrews chapter 11. Join me there. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gift. God testifying. And through it, he being dead still speaks. I want you to know when you're willing to do the hard things by framing your focus through faith in the word of God, even when you have died, your testimony will continue to speak for you. Now, before we get into our Key, the key passage from which we get the backstory in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, which was already read, I want to share with you what I mean by the hard things. What are the hard things? 
that faith will enable you to do when you focus on the Word of God. Here's one of the hard things. The hard things are those things God requires that make us uncomfortable. Things that make you uncomfortable are the hard things that I'm talking about. I'm talking about what, 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 what Jesus spoke of in Matthew's chapter 15. I believe, I believe that's in Matthew's chapter 18, verses 15 through 21, when he talks about reconciliation and going to your brother who's one. When somebody hurts you on purpose, the hard thing is to forgive them. The easy thing is to hold a grudge. The hard thing when somebody is deliberate about making your life difficult on purpose is to love them even though they're your enemy, to pray for them when they despitefully use you and give your enemy a cup of water rather than a cup of lie. The hard thing is to allow vengeance to be the Lord's rather than your own. That's the hard thing. Doing what God requires even though it makes you uncomfortable. Here's the second thing that's hard. The hard things are those things that you know that God knows that you aren't giving him, when God knows that you are not giving him your best, you know that God knows that you're not, even though others are applauding you. People think you're giving God gold, silver, and precious stone, but God said, hey, ain't nothing but wood, stubble, and hay. I know the real deal. And you, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who convicts us of righteousness behind the scene, you know you just threw that thing together. So God knows the hard thing is for you to be serving and not giving your best, and God, the Holy Spirit, is not blessing you because of that. The hard thing, here's the third thing, means that you serve God with excellence according to his standards and expectations. When others don't, when you don't feel like it, let me say that again. The hard thing is serving God with excellence according to his standards and expectations, even when you do not feel like it, and when, even when you do and others don't acknowledge you, the hard thing is to continue to serve with excellence according to God's standards and expectations. I like the way the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We're not going to read all the verses, but the Apostle Paul writes, he says, but we have this treasure, the word of God, the gospel, in jars of clay, in earthen vessels, in our physical bodies that are frail, that get tired, that fail us. And the purpose is to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not us. The reason why we can be effective is that the strength of Christ is perfected not because of our weaknesses, not in spite of our weaknesses, but because of our weaknesses. And so the standard of God is that even when he is using us, the standard is that we are operating out of a spirit that we want to glorify him and honor him. Listen to what Paul also said. He, he said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are always, here we go again, we are always carrying around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that, here's the purpose, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. So when I'm tired, when I don't feel like it, 
when other folks aren't recognizing the, all the labor that I'm given as a mother, as a father, I'm not being appreciated. I'm not being respected. It ain't about them. It's about doing this in such a way that the glory of the Lord is on display through your excellence based on his standards and his expectations. Somebody say amen. Help me out up here. Here's another hard thing. The hard things include refusing to give in to your fleshly desires, even when you think you can get away with it. Potiphar said to Joseph, brother, oh, no. She said she, she did one of these, I, I, what love got to do with it? She did the, the Tina Turn thing. All I know is I want to get physical. It's simply physical. And every day the Bible says she tormented him. And Potiphar, was, the, the husband, was nowhere in sight. He could have slept with another man's wife. But Joseph said, how could I do this against my boss? But more importantly, how could I violate God's requirement by committing the sin of adultery? And so the hard thing is not giving into your flesh. The scripture actually says in, in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus. Get dressed up in Jesus. And do not make provision for the lust of the fulfilling of your flesh. Go out of your way not to make it easy for yourself to sin. I never thought it would be so hard to lose weight. Lord Jesus, what a challenge. Why did the Lord give me a desire for food the way he did? I just, oh, God. But I ain't praying for no lack of desire now, no, Lord. But it ain't easy. But the scripture said, don't put the sweet potato. Oh, make provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. Stay away from the lion's home. Minister lions. Oh, my goodness. Lord have mercy. You go around there, you're going to eat. I can do that once a month, though. So the hard thing is including to refuse to give in to the desires of your flesh. Here's the, here's the final thing. The hard things mean giving God, giving God our first, best, and our all, because everything really belongs to him. We're simply stewards, and it is required, the Bible said, of a steward to be found faithful. You don't own anything, everything that you have, even the very breath we have in our body, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, because he has created everything that is. And without him, nothing that was made was made. You belong to him. Oh, I got to say, David shared it in this, in this way in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14 through 16. He says, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things, and in your hand is strength and power. You exalt and you give strength to all. Then in verse 14 he says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give generously as this? Because everything, say everything. Say it again, everything. Everything means everything. Comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Whenever you give your talent, your, ta your time, your treasure in the temple, it belongs to God. You're simply giving back to God a portion of what he has lent to you. Even our children, the Bible says, are inheritance from the Lord. And the fruit of the wound is a reward. 
children are not a curse, they're a blessing. They actually are. Somebody say amen. Even, even when they turn teenage, they're a blessing. Just remember, they came from the Lord. And every good and perfect gift comes from the Father who, in whom there is no variation or changing with him. Here's some, a few other things that I want to share before we go forward. Doing, this, doing the same thing may make you consistent, but doing the hard things will make you grow. You're not going to grow until you start doing the hard things. We just, we just want to be comfortable. We just want to chill. We don't want our day to be interrupted. We got our schedule. We got our plans. We got this thing all lined up. Our show comes on this. We can finish. We started at the same time. We just want this thing to go as seamlessly as possible. And God said, I'm not about seamlessly as possible. Because what you're calling an obstacle, I call opportunity. I want you to know that the disciples got upset when Jesus stopped it with a multitude, a crowd, a thong of people, just bumping up into him. And, and all of a sudden, in the middle of all that, as Jesus is heading to Jairus' house because his daughter is in critical condition, she's in ICU, she's about to die, and he knows that his daughter's about to die. And so he comes and says, Jesus, would you come and check on my daughter? And he's heading to Jairus' house. That's a part of his itinerary. That's a part of his agenda. But all of a sudden, in the middle of all of that, Jesus says, somebody touched me. And the disciples said, how in the world are you concerned that somebody, and how would we even know with all these people brushed up against you like that? I want you to understand something. Jesus always recognizes the touch of faith. When you reach out to Jesus in faith, when you reach out to him in reliance and trust, he's going to always respond to that. But what the disciples saw as an obstacle, Jesus saw as an opportunity. He said to that woman who grabbed him of his garment, this day you're healed by your faith. I'm so glad Jesus didn't say that. You're not on my agenda. You're not on my program. She would have still been in her sickness. Doing the same thing may make you consistent, but it won't. The hard things make you grow. You will never grow spiritually taking shortcuts. It just doesn't happen. Well, if I could get me some holy oil, maybe if I could speak in a couple tongues. Maybe if I go to this concert or, or this seminar or this workshop, I read another book. You know, read all the books and you still haven't changed. Shortcuts don't make you spiritual. It's called application. We are educated beyond our obedience. It's not the lack of information. Our issue is the lack of application. Here's the third thing. Avoidance doesn't remove your mountains. It just delays your climb. The mountain is still there. You still got to pay that bill. You still got to complete that assignment. You can avoid it. But when you get finished procrastinating, guess what? It's still, it's still there. How many years have we avoided certain things in our life? One of the things that many Christians avoid, we don't want confrontation. We're afraid. And God says, you can continue to stay in this valley, circling around the promised land. But if you're going to enter in, one day you're going to have to say to that mountain by faith, mountain be moved. And until you do, your avoidance will not remove that mountain. Somebody say amen. Here's another thing. Anything that comes too easily isn't worth having. Do the hard thing by framing your focus by faith. Anything that you get that comes too easy. And I said earlier, my dad, that father gave me a car, a brand new car. Man, he took care of that car. You could eat off the floor. 
you could see your reflection in the rims of the car. That's how clean it was. And I kept wondering, when this dude going to give me the car? When is he going to just, I mean, he already has a new car. He's just letting that thing just sit out there. But he kept it clean. And then finally, he broke down and gave it to me. Man, first couple days, I was just so excited telling my friends. And all I cared about, if there was gas in the car and if it started. And so that went on for about several months. And then one day I got out to the car and jumped in to start. It didn't start. So I just said, I'll walk today. And then three weeks went by and tried the car again, and it wouldn't start. So I said, okay, I'll just keep walking until the car starts. And then somebody said, why aren't you driving your car? I said, well, it won't start. He said, well, lift up the hood. So he lifts up the hood, and he checks inside the battery. The battery didn't have any water in it. So all he needed to do was, all I needed to do is, is say, well, why would I dog that car like that? Why would I mistreat a blessing that, that was given to me? It's because it was given to me. I, hadn't do, I didn't have to do anything to get it. We live in a generation that's entitled, that feels like they deserve stuff that they haven't worked for. You don't work 50 years to get that little chair and couch you sit on. They expect to have what you had the first day they get married. And then they get it all on credit and expect you to bail them out. Anything that comes too easily is not worth having. The Lord loves, he, God, here's a step, fine thought. The Lord loves us where we are, but he never leaves you there. He loves us where we are, but he's not going to leave you in your mess. When the moment you accepted Christ, he, you became a part of his divine army. And one of the requirements in his job description is you take up your cross and follow him. It's not going to be easy. While you're in the world, you will experience trials and temptations and tribulations, the Bible says. The Lord loves you where you are, but he's not going to ever leave you where you are. The Bible says he chastens those who he loves. My mother was so mean, unspiritual, insensitive, hard-hearted every school morning in the winter, December, January, cold outside, snow on the ground, time to go to school. She started yelling, get up, it's time to go to school, get up. And the more she yelled, the loud, my mom had some lungs on her, that sister. Oh, God. And so she would just be, the more she yelled, the more we would pretend that we were sleeping, the harder we would snore. That woman didn't care about us snoring. She had the nerve to come into our room, didn't even knock on the door to our room. Remember, it's her house, but it's our room, right? She'd kick in the door, and she'd come up in there, and then she said, we'd be under our blanket. She would literally snatch the blanket from off of us. Putting us in the killed, in the, in, the, in, the, in the element, snatching the covers up off of What would make somebody be so mean? How could she be so insensitive and uncaring? I'm so glad my mother messed with me. I'm so glad she didn't allow me to sleep under the coziness of those blankets and let me stay home. I would have never gone to school on my own. 
But my mother loved me that way, that she won't push me and demand that I do the hard things so that today I can stand before you and declare the word of God. I want you to know God is not going to leave you alone. He ain't going to leave you comfortable under the coziness of your carnality. He's going to come in every time until you finally get the lesson. You, the assignment's not going to change. He's going to keep on pulling those blankets away, keep on exposing you until you finally decide. Like Abel, I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to give my offering according to God's standard and his expectation. And so as we go into Genesis chapter 4, turn there. What we're going to discover about Abel doing the hard things by framing his focus through faith is that he did the hard things in the workplace. He also did the hard things in worship. Abel also did the hard things in his walk and finally in his witness. The Bible says, though Abel is dead, yet he still speaks. His witness, his legacy continues to live. Now, when you turn to Genesis chapter 4, what's really interesting in, in chapter 4, we learn that our first parents, Adam and Eve, they had two sons. One son, the oldest son, the eldest son was named Cain, and the youngest son, was Abel. When Abel was, when Cain was born, the first son was born, Eve said, praise God, he has helped me by creating a son for me. When Abel comes along, she don't say none of that. That second child, oh Lord, it's almost like, <laughs> that's just another, another mouth to feed, just another person in the house. And so there's a real good chance that Cain got the treatment of that first child, spoiled, and got his way. But in any case, we're going to look at the, the work habits of Abel and Cain so that we can understand why God accepted Abel's offering but rejected Cain's. I want you to know that just because we come to church as an expression of our offering to the Lord, it doesn't mean that God will accept our presence, because you can be physically present in a place, but spiritually absent. I want you to understand that it's not just enough to hear the word. The scripture says, he who has ears, we all got ears. But the next part of it, Jesus says, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. When you, hear what the, when you, can, when you can hear and listen to what the Spirit is saying, then you can receive. And so let's, let's just get, jump in this. Why did God accept Cain's? Cain accept Abel's offering, but rejected Cain's. Now listen to what it says. Now Cain, now Abel kept the flock. He was a shepherd. And Cain worked in the, on the, in the soil. He was a farmer like his father Adam. He followed in his father's footsteps. I was watching uh, Anthony, who's a realtor, Sierra's husband, and they already have uh, signs on T-shirts that, that little Anthony Jr. is going to be a realtor. And so he's going to follow in his dad's footsteps. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, Cain followed in Adam's footsteps as a farmer. So Cain, so the Bible says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering, but Cain's offering 
He did not look with favor. Say he rejected Cain's offering. Say that with me. He rejected Cain's offering. So Cain humbled himself. No, the Bible says he became very angry, and his face was wrought or downcast. I want you to understand, when you're outside the will of God, and you're challenged by a messenger or an example of the presence of God, carnality will reject God's correction. You don't want to hear what God has to say. And so the scripture says that Cain became angry with God. Now, how many of you know you can't outfight God? You can't beat God. So often when we become angry with God, we take our anger out on that which represents God. And so some people resent you, and you never did anything to them. You simply live like Jesus around them, and your presence reminds them of what they haven't done that God requires. Are you still with me? So here are the four areas. First of all, Abel, in the area of work, understood that skills and ability to work is a gift from God. Your skills and ability to work come from God. The Bible says that Abel kept the flock in the, was, a, was, a, was a shepherd, and Cain worked as a farmer. In Genesis chapter uh, 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 2, verse 15, it's, we learn that work is not a curse. It was a command given to man by God before the fall. So we should not dread going to work. When God gave Adam the assignment to keep the garden, as his assignment before he gave Adam Eve. And, and I believe that God's desire for every man before you get married, you ought to have a J-O-B. If a man don't have a job, don't marry him. If a man is not in a position that if as a woman, he can't take care of you, he's not ready to marry you. And that's why I'm going to, we're getting ready to get to, into a series with the, with, the, with the young men. Brothers don't want to get married. Scared of commitment. And beyond scared of commitment, they don't have to be committed because they can get everything they want without ever making a commitment. Shame on the sisters for lowering their standards just to have somebody in their life. But men that are not married and don't have the gift of celibate sexual abstinence need to be preparing for marriage. And that means that you need to be preparing a home to bring a wife to live in. That's what you ought to be doing right now. Whether you get married or not, if you can't keep your britches zipped up, you need to be planning to get married because God, is, God says that fornicators will not, if you're practicing fornication and that's your lifestyle, God says you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the scriptures. That's not me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, read verses 9 through 12. So you need to be preparing for marriage. If you don't have the gift of singleness, Get married, but don't get married if you're not prepared or capable because you haven't planned to take care of, of the wife that God is going to give you. And that was not even a part of this. Let's move on. Amen. I don't know why I had to say that. I believe the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. So work is not a curse. It's a command. Work is God's means for you to provide for your family and to prove that you're saved. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, if a man will not provide for his own family, He's worse than an infidel and is conducting himself as if he's unsaved. One of the ways that you know that you love the Lord and that you belong to the Lord, by faith, you're going to always be trying to work to take care of those who God has entrusted to you. The, the actual little translation is not just restricted to men. It says that anyone who is working 
or can work that won't provide for his family or her family, God says, you're acting like you're unsaved. So work is a way that God allows us to provide for our family, but not only provide, but it demonstrates that we belong to him. This is my money. I go to work. If I want to gamble, I gamble. If I want to stay out, I'm grown. Okay, don't get married. You can be miserable all by yourself. But now that you're married, if you aren't taking care of what God has given to you to take care of, God says, you're acting like you don't know me. Here's the third thing. Work provides us with an opportunity to be, to do the hard things. Here's the hard thing. The Bible says when it came time for Cain and Abel to make an offering to the Lord, Abel gave the Lord the first of his fruit. He gave the Lord his best. The hard thing for us is we act like Cain. I worked and earned it the old, I worked and got it the old-fashioned way. I did it like labor with my hands. I did this with my leg and my brain. And so I, my possessions belong to me. And if I, when I want to give God something, I'll break something off for him. But if I don't feel like it, I shouldn't have to. And that's the mindset. I mean, one of the things that I learned, we, we, we invited some singles out, and they may be listening to me right now. I'm going to rebuke you right now. We invited them out for a, a Valentine's Day for for husband and wives and singles, and they all checked out before they paid their full bill. And the married couples ended up having to pay the difference. Those jokers just, they left us with the bill. Some of the cheapest, stingiest, undisciplined people I know, they don't, don't tie the scent to the Lord. But they dressing in the finest shoes, the finest clothes, living in the nicest houses, don't give God nothing. He don't even get a tip. We're talking about, Lord, when I get more, when I do better. No, you're going to do just like you're doing right now. You're cheating the Lord. You're robbing the Lord. And the robbery, this is, a stick, this is a stick up. This is not sneaking in somebody's house while they're sleeping. No, you're saying right in front of God's face, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you anything, but I'm going to take everything you have to give. Will a man rob God? Yes, we do. Somebody say amen. Here's what uh, 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 it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with the first part of your income and with the best part of everything you produce. Don't give God the least. Give God the best. And, and, and Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In the beginning of the week, when you get your paycheck, before Uncle Sam takes out taxes, give God his first. The scripture says that the tithe belongs to the Lord. When we don't tithe on purpose, you, you will tithe. God will cut holes in your pocket. He will blow your money away. You'll be sitting and, and paying all this money for the finest meals, and you won't even have an appetite to eat it. And every time you feel like you got an appetite, you go to bite it, and the tooth drops out. And now you got to pay for a new tooth. Sometimes you wonder, why this guy don't have any teeth? Because he ain't tithing. <laughs> Wealth and honor belongs to the Lord. Strength comes from God. The reason why you're able to get in your truck, in your car, that house, is because God has been good. God has been gracious. And everything that you have, you ought to be saying to the glory of God. Because just like those houses burned in California, they were beautiful homes. They were multi thousand cost most more than most of our houses cost in California six hundred thousand hundred thousand a million million dollar homes burned to the ground. 
I want you to know God can blow a wind and your house can be leveled to the ground. You have nowhere to stay. Work provides you an opportunity to do the hard thing. Give God your best, your first. Somebody say amen. We're almost done here. Work should be viewed as ministry, not simply as a place to make money. Work should be viewed as a ministry. In Timothy chapter, 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18, God has no issue with us making as much money as we possibly can. Listen to what the scripture says. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the muzzle an ox while it is treading at the treading out the grain. For a worker deserves his wages. We have no problem going to our boss and saying, wait, I didn't get a cost of living. Wait, I didn't get an annual increase. And bonus time, where's my bonus? And he was, okay, you're right, it's our policy. And then when you get our bonus and our, and, and, and our increase, do you give God his increase? Some of us still operating like the, 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 the Methodist preacher and the Catholic. The Catholic said, they, got, they came with all this money. They said, what are we going to do with all this money? We got to bless the Lord. We got to give some money. And they said, well, let's come up with a decision. The Methodist pastor said, well, okay, let's draw a big circle and throw all of our money up in the air. And whatever falls inside the circle, that's what God is going to get. The Catholic preacher looked at the side of the circle and said, whoa, this is a big circle. He said, well, let me pray about it. Let's think about it and pray about it some more, how we can spiritualize it. Carnality. Let's think about it. So they said, let's make a smaller circle, and whatever small falls outside of the circle, God can have. Now, Pat, a Catholic priest said, oh, no, no. Here's a better idea. Let's draw a circle, stand inside, and throw all of our money up in the air, and whatever God catches, that, that's what God can have. Whatever God, God didn't catch you no money. Gravity works for God, too. So what they were basically saying, we ain't giving God nothing. But they spiritualized holding back from what God had blessed them. That's what would be funny, y'all. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's how we do the Lord. Whatever God catches, when we get an extra, extra bonus, we'll cut God off some. We're still giving the same amount that we gave when we first got saved. And your income has tripled. Oh, God understands. This is a pandemic. God's still providing. God still requires the tithe. And God said, if you try me and see if I will not open up the very windows of heaven and bless you, if you give me my portion, not last, give me mine first. And I don't know how many of us, you know, the truth is, if, you, if we went as long as we have done with our personal bills, we would be, we would be homeless. What is your debt to God? How much do you owe him? How much tithes have you withheld for as long as God has been blessing you? Work provides you an opportunity to do the hard thing. Give God. Abel said, Lord, you gave me this job. So he gave him his first, his best, and all that he could. It wasn't the least that he could. He gave him as much as he could. Are you still with me? Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand, that God, when it came to Cain and Abel's offering, the Bible says that Cain gave out of the ground a, a portion to God. He just said, okay, whatever, I'm going to cut something, I'm going to drop something in the basket. 
And the idea is this. It wasn't according to the blessing that God has given him. The scripture says in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, my God shall supply all of your needs, not out of his riches, but according to his riches and glory. It's a big difference. Michael Jordan's a billionaire. He came in today, and he, he wrote a check for the church for $1,000. and said, Wow, he got $1,000. That's nothing. That's out of his riches. But if he wrote a million-dollar check for the church, that's according to his riches. So, 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 so when it comes to giving, we kind of like Cain. We give out of, not according to how God has blessed us. Another thing that was true of Cain's offering, he gave God, not according to his standard and expectation, he gave God something from the earth. The Bible said he gave him a part of his, his produce from the earth. But God had cursed the earth as a result of Adam's sin. And so what, what Cain was giving God was, was giving God something that was cursed. And sometimes we say, well, I, I know lottery may not be the best thing to do. And I know I gambled to get it. And I know I saw the person drop the money out of their pocket. But if it wasn't for me, I wouldn't have saw it. God wouldn't have shown it to me if, he, if I didn't see it. And by the way, I'll give a tenth off of what I found that somebody else lost. And I know they That's not called finding something that was lost. There's another word for it. It's called stealing. And so we come to church and we give God something that's cursed. It doesn't become blessed because you give it to the church. And so Cain gave God something from the earth that was cursed, while Abel gave God a blood sacrifice according to God's standard and expectation when it came to work. I want you to know that God, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Work should be ministry. When you get a chance to look at uh, uh, the scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, where it says, that work as unto the Lord, not to please people. So whether you are working outside of the church or inside of the church, it's a ministry. The word that is used for work according as unto the Lord, the word is serve as unto the Lord. It literally is the Greek word dekonos, which means to minister. And so when you're making the Benjamins for Pharaoh, that's not just a job where you make money. It's a job where God has placed you there to minister. And the same thing is true in the church. God is not looking for volunteers. He's looking for servants that will minister according to the call that he has on your life. Work in the church is ministry. It's not an option. It's not something you can do or not do. Either you're called to it or you're not. And if God calls you to it, he's gifted you to do it. And if you're not doing it, you do, you're disobeying the Lord because it's a spiritual indictment on you or me. And so work in the church is a ministry. It's not verse, well, if I feel like it, I'll do it. And I, I, I know the church needs me, I'll come. And, and if I can give God a little bit of time. No. Work at the church as if you're being paid. But you're not going to necessarily get paid. The Bible says, don't get weary in well-doing. Because here's, he says, I, 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 just like you get paid at your secular job, that will pass away. You know how fast it comes and how fast it goes, right? But he said, but the kind of, he said, if you don't get weary in well-doing, you shall reap, what? A harvest of blessing in due season if you faint not. Be steadfast, 
unmovable, always abounding in the work, in the ministry of the Lord. So whatever you're doing inside or outside the church, it's ministry. It's ministry. And when you understand that it's ministry, then you can't just quit. Because then you've got to answer to the Lord based on the talents and treasures that he's given to you. And the Lord's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? And here's the interesting thing about that. Well, you know how they at that church, they didn't, they didn't use me the way I want to be used. Here's the way that works. God says your gifts will make room for you. You don't have to be pushing around or waving your hand. Just get busy doing what you do. And before you know it, there'll be a work for you to do because the ministry that God has called you and gifted you to do will make a way for you to be a part of what he is doing. Somebody say amen. Abel also was different from Cain when it came to worship. See, Abel understood that true worship is about giving God what he wants not what we want to give him. And the reason why worship is a, it's a hard thing to do, the Bible said, when, when, when the woman from Samaria said, Jesus, uh, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we worship at Mount Gerizim, and I, you, you guys worship at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. We go to different churches. And Jesus said, there's coming a day when God won't care what church you worship at because God is spirit, and they that worship him must what? Worship God in spirit and in truth. True worship is giving God what he wants rather than what we want to give God. The reason it's hard is because worship is not about you or me. It's about him. It's about him. You remember the story of King David? He went into the temple after the Ark of the Covenant finally made. He got it back in the temple. He brought God's temple, the presence of God, home in the Ark. And David, as he was entering into the temple, the Bible said he took off the ephod. He took off his kingly garment. And the moment he stepped inside the temple, David was saying by that act that I'm no longer royalty. I'm no longer the king. I'm just another worshiper. And the Spirit of God got a hold of David. He started dancing. He started shouting. He started running. He started singing. He started, I mean, just really celebrating God because of all that God had done. And then by the time David gets home, his wife said, you humiliated me at church. You embarrassed yourself. How educated did you seem today? How kingly were you acting today? And David said, wait a minute. When I think about the goodness of the Lord and all that he's done for me, he said, your father was king. Your father Saul was on this throne. I was working in the outhouse. Now I'm in the palace. I was just a shepherd. I was just a nobody among eight brothers. And the Lord decided through the, through the prophet to anoint me. When I think about doors that God has opened for me that were closed, when I think about the fact that even my father thought I was a loser, when I think about how my brothers talked about me, when I think about all the times I had to sleep in caves and didn't know how I was going to eat and I was running for my life and I considered the goodness of the Lord, why wouldn't I shout? Why wouldn't I praise him? Why well, Somebody ought to praise him right now. Has he been good? The Lord has been better to me than I have been to myself. When you understand that worship is about him, the hard thing is getting out of the way. The hard thing is not caring about what your neighbor thinks. 
The neighbor hadn't blessed you. God has. David understood like Abel that worship is about God. It's his expectation and standard. You can't just live any kind of way. The Bible says, who can enter into the presence of the Lord but who, those who have clean hands? The Bible says, without holiness, no man can see God. I want you to understand the reason why we want to be free to celebrate God is because God acknowledges holiness. Somebody said in the Bible that God inhabits the praises of the saints. Some of you haven't welcomed God home. Some of you haven't given God an easy chair. Some of you haven't made him comfortable. But if you decide that you're going to recognize him as the one who's the king of kings. Oh, somebody know what I'm talking about. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He acknowledged him in his worship. Abel's offering was about God, not about him. Here's another thing. He, Abel did the hard thing in his walk. When he could have caved in under the pressure of Cain, who was satisfied with giving God just something out of duty, not out of devotion. Some people come to church today and, you know, we got to do what they got to do. No, no, you give out of devotion, out of love, out of a passion for him. Cain, Abel continued to walk with God, so much so that it cost him his life. I want you to know some people are going to hate you just because you have an Abel spirit. You have a willingness to worship God. You have a willingness to work for God in such a way that you're honoring him. He continued to walk with God. But he also, the Bible says, that he continued in his life to be a witness for God. Even though Cain, Cain is dead, we still talk about him because he framed his focus by faith. John put it this way. He said, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, for they rest from their labors and their rewards do follow them. I want you to know when you are willing to do the hard things, that even when you are unable to do them anymore because of age and even death, your, your witness will live, outlive you. The issue is, if you don't do what the Lord says, by the time God decides to take you home, who's going to remember you? What mark have you made in the world with the gift? God created you to be a difference maker. God created you to be an influencer. God created you with an authority. Are you using the authority and the power that he has given to you? That lives beyond you and the grave, and it's like the bones of Elijah. When somebody comes across your testimony and hear about how you serve the Lord, how you love Jesus, just sharing that ought to bless somebody. It ought to make somebody want to be more like Jesus, just knowing that you were so sold out and willing to do the hard things. Now, let me close with this. How can you learn to do the hard things by faith? I'm glad you asked. First of all, work as unto the Lord for ministry and not money. When you're doing ministry in the church, act like you're getting paid. Because the reward that God is going to give you is eternal. Here's the second thing. Worship the Lord by spending quality time with him in prayer and in his word. Spend time on your face before the Lord and in his word. Are you spending more time in his word? All this craziness, the pandemic, it ought to make you open up your Bible more. You ought to be praying more. You ought to be crying out to God. I've been asking questions like never before. That's what should be happening right now. 
Somebody say amen. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and not your feelings. That's what's going on in the world today. The world doesn't care about facts. They will vote for and support anybody that will support what they like, what keeps them in power, what keeps them in privilege. The word of God has gone out the window. And as Christians, what we need to do is we need to stick with the book. Here's the final thing. Witness to people. Say witness to people by serving them in order to share with them. Now, as we close, Paul talked about a time in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, for the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, the facts from the Bible. People say, well, that's, you got your opinion, I got my opinion. And we spend all of our days and time arguing with people about opinions. And so you ask people, what are the facts? What actually happened? Well, all I know is this. No, no, no. We, if you can't address the facts, and people are totally ignoring the word, you don't have, there's no way that you're going to ever get a resolution. Somebody say amen. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them great numbers of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And so I believe that the problem, the real pandemic, didn't start with COVID-19. It started in the church where we told people, if you name it and claim it, you got it. When we've taken this Bible and watered it down and, and, and we don't preach against sin and we don't preach against repentance, when we don't tell people that God holds them accountable, what we, the, the, the result of that is that now the world doesn't have the light and the salt that the church should be. And so we look at the world around us, and it's total chaos. Every man, when there's no king, when there's no vision, people will be given over to deception as we see it in the world. And so today, as we, as we bring this to the close, stand with, stand with me on your feet. Are you willing to do the hard things? Are you willing to demonstrate by your action and your commitment that you love God that way? What has really changed about you since you made your decision to follow Jesus? Are you, willing, are you really willing to do whatever it takes to be in the presence of the Lord? Have you come to that place where Moses said, Lord, if you don't lead us from here, I don't want to take another step. Are you at that place where your ear is so attuned to the voice of the Spirit that you can hear what God is saying in the midst of all that is going on around us and you can hear him saying peace be still you can hear the Lord saying stand still and know that I am the Lord the ship may be taking on water it may look like we're going to drown but the ship that Jesus is on can never sink because Jesus is the master of the water Jesus is the master of the storm and he can speak right now to your situation if you're willing to do the hard thing and that call it's called being obedient are you willing to be obedient God will honor your obedience let's pray Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we, we lift up our voices before you.